Daniel chapter 9. And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, even as we have just confessed in song, you are the Lord of peace. So now we confess and proclaim once again in prayer. Lord of peace, give us peace. Even as we look around our world and the things that have gone on in the last year or two, and as we look ahead with uncertainty, we know that we serve the God of peace. We know that our hope is certain. We know the end, and we rejoice in that. And yet, Heavenly Father, our hearts are so often troubled. Our eyes are so often averted from that eternal perspective to the troubles that are swirling around us. Heavenly Father, give us faith to believe. Keep our eyes on the faithful promises of our faithful God and not on the troubles that surround us, not on the uncertainty of life, but on the certainty of our faithful God. Even this evening, as we look at this passage and we see your faithfulness to fulfill what you have promised to your people, may we be encouraged, even tonight as your church, that we serve a faithful God. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Daniel, chapter 9, a certain future. It's been several weeks since we were in Daniel. Uh, almost a month, actually, if not a month. And so it was about a month ago when we were in the beginning of Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. You may remember that passage as we, we looked at Daniel's prayer. It's a powerful prayer. We walked through how, it, how it's kind of a, a model for us in prayer. He praises the Lord. He confesses his sin and the sin of his people. And, and even while he's confessing, all throughout there he's weaving praise to this faithful God. And finally he brings his request. And as you may or may not remember, the request that he brings is that God would bring his people out of captivity. Daniel has seen the prophecy from Jeremiah that God promises after 70 years I will bring my people out. And seeing that, then Daniel prays, God, this is what you've said. God, do this. Bring us out. Hear the prayer of your servant and his supplication. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Come, Lord, and answer this request. So we come to Daniel 9, verses 20 to 27. It's the answer to that request. And so it starts, we're actually going to kind of, rather than breaking the passage up, I'm going to come at it a different way. And I hope this makes sense. I hope this works. We're going to look at all seven verses together. The big picture. The point that God is making to Daniel. What Daniel understands. But then with our last few minutes, I want to go to the New Testament. Because this answer to prayer that we see here is not all answered at this point in history yet. There is still more to come. And so I want to go to the New Testament. I want to look in Matthew and 2 Thessalonians and Revelation 
to see God's continued revelation on this, what he continues to say about this. And so that's what we will do with the last few minutes of our time. So first thing we're going to do here is look at these seven verses of Daniel 9, 20 to 27. The big picture. The big picture. Daniel starts here. Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin... And the sin of my people. We've just reviewed that from the first 19 verses. Daniel brings this prayer. It's a powerful prayer as we read it together a few weeks ago. Presenting my supplication before the Lord my God. For the holy mountain of my God. For Jerusalem. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. Here we see... In this big picture, we see the messenger. Gabriel here, we know, he's an angel. He appears as a man. It says Gabriel the man because he appears in the form of a man, though he is an angel. This is actually the second time in the book of Daniel to this point that Gabriel has shown up. He appears also in chapter 8, verses 16, as he speaks to Daniel. And what's interesting is that in both instances, in chapter 8 and here in chapter 9, Gabriel comes to give explanation, to explain to Daniel. And what is really fascinating here in chapter 9 is the reason why Gabriel comes. See, Daniel has has prayed a prayer, and, and God's going to do what God has said he was going to do. And what's fascinating here, though, in these first three verses, four verses, uh, 20 to 23, is that God sends Gabriel to personally answer this question. I mean, what a powerful answer. You imagine praying a prayer, and then Gabriel walks in. Hey, let me tell you how God's going to answer that prayer. I mean, what what an awesome answer. Thing this must have been. In fact, notice what Gabriel says. Um, or being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offense. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, as you started to pray, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Daniel, God greatly beloves you, and so he sent me to answer your prayer, to tell you how God is going to answer that prayer. What an awesome interaction we have here. What a challenge to be faithful as Daniel is faithful. In fact, we've seen that all throughout the book of Daniel up until this point. With Daniel in the lion's den, why was it that Daniel knelt and prayed even after he knew the king's decree? It's because that's who Daniel was. It's because Daniel had made a practice of doing that because Daniel was a faithful servant of God. So we see all throughout the book of Daniel, Daniel's faithfulness. And what an awesome privilege it is here as Gabriel comes to personally answer Daniel's prayer and to show him what God is going to do. So you have this messenger in these first four verses. In verses 24 to 27, you have the message. What is the answer to this prayer? Remember Daniel's prayer in these first 
19 verses was that God would bring his people out of exile, that he would restore them to the land, that he would restore the glory of Jerusalem. Here comes Gabriel to answer, to show Daniel how God will answer this prayer. Verse 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up uh, vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Seventy weeks are determined. Some take this to be a symbolic number. However, that does not seem to fit the context of Daniel. Here in Daniel uh, 9, in fact, in this very chapter, Daniel has taken numbers to be literal. In fact, he, the whole reason that he has prayed this prayer is because God made a promise that in 70 years I will bring my people out of exile. Daniel views that 70 years as literally 70 years. And so it wouldn't make sense for God to come and answering this prayer start using uh, symbolic numbers. Seventy weeks are determined. It's a unit of seven. And, and the meaning is often determined by the context. And the context here seems to make it clear. In fact, in fact most commentators understand the 70 weeks to be 70 sevens. Or seven years, 70 times. Which would be a total of 490 years. There is 490 years that are determined for your people and for your holy city. This is Gabriel's answer to Daniel's prayer. God will bring them out of exile, as he promised. God is not done with his people. But Gabriel goes beyond just bringing them out of exile. To explain that, that at the end of this exile, as, as Israel is brought out of exile, this will begin a process that will culminate in the end of the age. Seventy weeks are determined. Four hundred and ninety years. Seven years. Seventy sevens. For your people and your holy city. What is the purpose of these seventy weeks? So we see here in the rest of verse 24, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. At the end of this time, sin will be dealt with. That lines up with Daniel's prayer, does it not? That's what Daniel has prayed. God, bring us out of exile. Restore us to the land. Cleanse your people. That's how Gabriel answers. The Lord has purpose. To bring an end to sin. To finish the transgression. To make an end of sins. To make reconciliation for iniquity. But he doesn't stop there. Also, to bring in everlasting righteousness positively now. To seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. God's people will be cleansed and God's promises will be fulfilled. Sin will be dealt with and righteousness will flourish. God's purpose in Israel will be accomplished. 
This is the answer to Daniel's prayer, is it not? This is what he has been praying. Lord, bring us out of exile. Lord, restore us to the land. Lord, cleanse your people. Forgive our sins. And God's answer through Gabriel? I will do that. And I will do it in this way, culminating in the end of the age. Verse 25 to 27, he goes on into more detail. Know, therefore, and understand... All right, so really, verse 24 kind of gives the, the big picture. This is what I'm going to do. Now, he goes into more detail of what that will look like. What will these 77s look like? No, therefore, because I will do this, this is what I know, therefore, and understand. That from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. All right, so of these Seventy weeks, you have coming here that he's dealing with. Seven weeks, and then 62 weeks. Puts us at 69 weeks. From the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, most likely refers to the decree of Artaxerxes in 444 B.C., authorizing Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. In fact, this, this is one of the... If you don't like numbers... Just follow along, because we're going to be getting into some numbers here. But it's one of the fascinating things, is how precise this prophecy and this fulfillment is. So we have a date, most likely the 444 B.C., where Artaxerxes authorizes Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. Until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks. All right, so if we understand these uh, weeks to be groups of seven years, that is 49 years. All right, so most likely what we have here is the time that it took from the going forth of the command to complete the restoration of Jerusalem. The command goes forth, restore, build Jerusalem. Nehemiah goes, he starts his work. It takes 49 years for, for uh, Nehemiah uh, and, and Haggai and Zerubbabel to, to do all this, to, to restore Jerusalem, to build it. And then following that, now there's 62 weeks. That's 434 years. In this time, the street shall be built again, the wall even in troublesome times, which again fits Nehemiah's day, these troublesome times. But the 62 weeks is 434 years. This is where it gets fascinating. It's the time until Messiah. So following this restoration of Jerusalem, you have these 434 weeks. And if you start, uh, and when you take that 49 from that first seven weeks and that 434, when you put it together, it gives you a total of, from the command going forth to restore and build Jerusalem, a total of 483 years. And so if you start on 444 B.C., the authorizing of Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and you count 483 years into the future. So from March 5th, 444, that command, you end up on March 30th, A.D. 33, the date of Jesus' triumphal entry. When Messiah, the Prince, has come. And yet note this, note this, 
Verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. Not only, not only does Daniel rightly recognize the date that Messiah is coming, but he recognizes that Messiah will die then. What a fascinating truth. As these dates all come together, and, and we see this, Messiah will be cut off Jesus' death. And once Messiah is cut off, the people of the prince who is to come, this is not the Messiah, this is the little horn that we've seen from Daniel 7. Ultimately, this is uh, the Antichrist in the end times. But notice here, it's not the prince himself, it's the people of the prince. So, you might have to put your thinking caps on here. This prince, this little horn, when you look at the nations that rise up in Daniel 7, what nation does this little horn rise up out of? It's Rome. The little horn rises from Rome. So the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war of desolations are determined. And what happened after the death of Jesus? In 70 AD, Rome destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. Exactly as Daniel prophesied. Verse 27, Then, after all this has happened, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Here we jump ahead to the final seven-year period. But in the middle of the week, all right, and pay attention to that, in the middle of the week, that's going to come up later when we get into Revelation. That's important. He will make this covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. He will break this covenant that he has made with Israel, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. Not only will he break his covenant, he will desolate what Israel holds to be sacred. Even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Even until the consummation, which is determined. Looking forward to the end of time, Christ's return and victory, which is determined. While the Antichrist breaks his covenant, God keeps his covenant. God is not done with his people. And though this little horn might rise up, and though his people destroy the temple, and though he will confirm a covenant for one week, in the middle of that week he will break it, and he will bring this abomination of desolations, in the end, Christ's kingdom will come. And that time is determined. It is sure, as we see here at the end of verse 27. So the answer to Daniel's prayer, this big picture, what is it? That God is not done with his people. That God, as he promised, will bring his people out of exile and then he will complete his plans even until the end of time. God is faithful to do what he has promised and what he has said. God's purpose in Israel will be accomplished. That's the big picture. That's the big idea. That's what Daniel would have clung to as, as he looks at these verses. That's how Daniel would have followed it. Now I want you to jump with me 
ahead. And I want to look at Daniel 9.27 in the New Testament. Because Daniel 9.27 is still future. That's the part of this prophecy, this answer to prayer that is yet to come. And this is not the last that Scripture mentions it. So turn with me to Matthew 24, verse 15. Matthew 24, verse 15. This is Jesus speaking. He says this, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. And let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is in the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in these days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since and the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Notice who Jesus references here. This abomination of desolation from Daniel. In fact, he specifically says, spoken of by Daniel. He's referencing what we see here in Daniel 9, 27. And Jesus in his lifetime, references the abomination of of desolation spoken of in Daniel as still future and as literal. This is coming. Jesus recognizes it as future. He recognizes it as literal. Then turn with me, if you will, to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Here Paul makes reference to Daniel 9.27 and Daniel 11.36. Two passages here. In the first two verses of 2 Thessalonians 2, he says this. Or verse two verses of Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. All right, so what was the, what was the confusion here? What was the, the struggle in Thessalonica? They were thinking that they were living in the day of the Lord. They were confused, thinking that it had come now. They've been led astray to believe that they were presently living in the end times, in the day of the Lord. And yet, notice what Paul goes on to say here in verse 3 and 4. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. All right, so there's two things that must happen before this day comes. How can you know, Thessalonians, that you're not in that day? Because there's two things that must happen first. That day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. The falling away and the man of sin. They must be revealed first. Uh, The son of perdition, verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God 
or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Who is this man of lawlessness? This is the Antichrist, who will bring this abomination of desolation. It's consistent with exactly what we see in Daniel 9, 27. In fact, the arrogance of this man is the same arrogance that we see in the little horn. It's the same arrogance that um, Daniel speaks of in a few chapters when we get to it in Daniel eleven thirty six, of a coming king who will set himself up as God. And yet, follow into verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. This man will set himself up as God and then he will be destroyed and punished by God. The man of lawlessness will be destroyed. This is a reference back to Daniel 9.27. At the time of the Thessalonians, it was still future. And then as you turn to Revelation, we'll start in chapter 11, verse 2. Revelation 11, verse 2. And what you're going to note here, we're going to look at verse 2 and 3 here, and then we'll look at 12, 6, and 13, 5. And what you'll notice here is that Revelation refers to a period of three and a half years. All right, so I told you when we were in Daniel, note in Daniel 9.27, that seven-year period, halfway through this um, man breaks his covenant that he has made. Halfway through, what's half of seven? 3.5. That three-and-a-half-year period is repeated several times and plays a central role in Revelation as well. That same three-and-a-half-year period that we see in Daniel. You see it here in Revelation 11, 12, and 13. Notice here in Revelation 11, 2, and 3, but leave, out the, but leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months, and I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. 42 months and 1,260 days. Two references there uh, to um, this three and a half year period. Turn with me over to chapter 12, verse 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God. She should feed her there 1,260 days. Again, three and a half year period. Chapter 13, verse 5. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Again, this three and a half year period. Notice also in chapter 13, verse 5, that tied to this three and a half year period, that person there that we were Speaking up in verse 5, he was given a mouth. This is the Antichrist, the beast, 
And so you see this beast that is tied to this three and a half year period as well, the same one that we saw in Daniel 9.27. And so the three and a half years of Daniel 9.27 lines up with the three and a half years that plays a significant point, that, that plays a significant part in Revelation. And what is important to understand here too is that Revelation is written in the 90s AD. Revelation is written after the temple has been destroyed. And still at this point, that three and a half years that was prophesied in Daniel 9.27, that is all still future. And it will be fulfilled literally. And so as we come to the end this evening, we've, we've quickly surveyed Daniel 9.27 in the New Testament. We've spent some time looking at it here in Daniel 9. And what we see is that God is not done with his people. That his promises will stand both to Israel and to us, his church. Because God is faithful to them, we know that he will be faithful to us. We know that he will complete what he has begun, both with Israel and in our salvation. And we cling to that hope that our God is faithful. And we have a future hope. Because he is faithful. So by way of application, what do you do with a passage like Daniel 9, 20 to 27? You rejoice in the Lord because he is faithful and he will fulfill his word. You keep trusting in the Lord because he is faithful and he will fulfill his word. And then you wait patiently on the Lord while you trust and while you rejoice because he is faithful and he will fulfill his word. And the hope that we have at the end of, verses, of verse 27, until the consummation which is determined. The end is determined. Christ will come. And even as we saw this morning in Hebrews 1, he will reign, and he will reign in righteousness. And we long for that day, and we cry out, even so, come Lord Jesus. We're going to close by singing a simple song.